0: Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox, centering the marginalized in Mormonism. Uh, Brother Derek, how you doing today, sir?
1: Well, I'm here. It's uh, the first, or it's our first recording in November. Today's November 5th, mm-hmm. 2021. Upcoming mm-hmm. this month is Thanksgiving, which, mm-hmm. like Indigenous Peoples Day and the other name that that gets called, we've got Thanksgiving coming up. And that is another tough narrative to engage. And we need to hold space for our indigenous siblings. A number of mm-hmm. years I've gone to the National Day of Mourning event here in Plymouth, which is the site of the original Thanksgiving event, and listened to indigenous leaders talk about stuff. And it's it's really real. It is real. It's not sugar-coated. It's not... Yeah, it's it's real. So... Definitely keep that in mind, in addition to all the other football and
0: parades and Thanksgiving-y stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of holding space for folks, as you said, it's November 5th, which means it's uh, the anniversary of the exclusion policy you know, against children of people in gay marriages or gay relationships. And I just wanted to ask if you felt to uh, say anything about that today since, since yeah. it is the anniversary. Well, it of is that.
1: a six-year anniversary.
0: Six years, six my years. goodness.
1: Six years, six years, and it's about to be the six-year anniversary of the date I joined the church, which was December 5th,
0: 2015. <laughs> you joined a month after that policy.
1: I did. I'm not afraid.
0: Ain't that nothing.
1: Yeah, people know me, know I'm not afraid, and I mm-hmm. knew that policy was going to be gone. The date happened, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be gone. And mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna last. I knew I was gonna last in this church longer than the policy did, and I was right. You were. So you were. The uh, I, just, I could talk for like literally three hours about this policy, but <laughs> let me just. <laughs> and say, I'm sure
0: people would be happy to hear you do it. <laughs> no,
1: they won't. But <laughs> like, one clearly it was a mistake. Two, not only was it a mistake because it hurt queer people and their families in the church, it hurt everyone. It hurt yeah. the church as a whole. It hurt our image. It hurt the savior. Absolutely, like it even hurt the conservative cause in the church. Like there's people looking back after that, like we messed up, like mm-hmm. big time. It set back everyone on every side in the church. No one wins with that policy. I really think that that policy mm-hmm. was a very clever trick by the evil one, who somehow snuck it in there, and caused a uh, havoc everywhere in the church. it it No one won. Like, the PR that, that came out of this was a mess. I think, like, a week after it happened, they realized, oh, wait, this backfired. Mm-hmm. Because it didn't serve any goal from the conservative right. side. Well, anyway, so there's that. Um, of course, it caused a, a ma- major devastation. It also caused people to sympathize with the queer community who had never done so before. Because, for some mm-hmm. reason, that was, like, even decent people—well, I shouldn't say even decent. Even average people who haven't really thought much about LGBT stuff, when they heard the policy, they thought, "Oh, that is that is way beyond acceptable." Like mm-hmm. normal, average, everyday per- people in the church—not the liberals, not the not the radicals—but you're just decent people who've never thought about it before, looked at it, and said, "This can't be from God. It is just on mm-hmm. its face an abominable policy. And it never should have been there." And clearly mm-hmm. the Lord had to fix up what humans messed up, but that's actually all the scriptures. the Lord f- fixes what humans mess up that's the atonement we mess up the Lord fixes it and sure. uh, so the Lord by uh, inspiration ended the policy but anyway i' don't, I don't know if I, I could I don't know what to say because I could talk on and on and on and we don't want to do that. <laughs> Anything it's I want right, to name, Let me just name something real important. People say, "Well, we yes, survived the policy." Well, you know what? Not uh, not all of us survived it. I mean, there are there are people who were alive on November fifth, two thousand 2015, who are not alive today, and who never lived to see the repeal of the policy. And we need to remember those. Right. Um, we need to remember those our our queer siblings who did not did not make it. Yeah. An analogy would be the Prop 8 decision, or the Prop 8 campaign that the church had in California back in, what year was it? That must have been 2008, right?
0: Yeah, 2008
1: sounds right. That was a big mistake. They miscalculated the pushback that that would get, right? Anyway, so just hold November 5th in your heart. Let me just pause that to go say something Back about Thanksgiving, did you hear about the waiter who caused a? Mm-hmm. Did you hear about the waiter who caused an international disaster at Thanksgiving time?
0: Waiter who caused an internet international
1: disaster? Yes, he caused the fall of Turkey, the overthrow of Greece, and the destruction of China.
0: God, dang it, man! Ah. <laughs> dude come on <laughs> i'm like in it over here man i was like in it and then you wow <laughs> wow
1: my guy <laughs> i love you james so all of you listeners i told james right before he I warned go, me i said i'm gonna he tell you warned a joke me.
0: <laughs> and like but i did not think it was coming this early i'm oh i'm so mad at myself well, i'm anyway. so mad at myself
1: so let me come out with my big announcement. Oh, we've already taken up eight
0: minutes. Whoops. Uh, is <laughs> that's that 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 charts, Derek. That charts. But yeah, um, just for y'all information, I don't know what Derek is about to say. I wanted my. He told me he was going to make an announcement today, and he asked me if I wanted it live or if I wanted it, you know, at the time he told me. But I was like, nah, I want to be just as surprised as everybody else. And I I I have no idea what Derek was going to say. I was like. Are you gonna start a church? Are you gonna, like, what's, what's happening? And uh, I, I was, of course, wrong. So I'm on the edge of my seat to know what Derek has to okay. share today.
1: So here's what you're going to, um, let me just give you some background before I tell you about the decision that I made. Uh, the background has to do with the nature of general conference, and this is a decision I've been discerning for a month this particular uh, course of action that i'm going to take Mm -hmm. and ever since general conference i looked at and ever since holland's talk about the muskets i realized how much attention there is on every little word every little action people read into everything all the time you know what i'm talking about right They'll,
0: I think so. Can you like, say a little bit
1: more? They'll take some little sentence and parse it and try to decode and figure out exactly what's going on and what's going on behind the scenes. That, the, that every word has weight to it. And what ends up happening is the LGBTQ community and many people in the church get jerked around. There's whiplash. They get mixed messages. They'll hear something hopeful and reassuring one week, and then something awful the next. You'll hear Black Lives Matter from from an authority, and then you'll hear something really problematic from the same authority, right? So there's just a lot of it, it's a roller coaster listening to the general authorities. And part of what I'm going to do is is I find figuring out a way to rise above that. The next thing I've noticed is the responses that come out. Typically, what'll happen is you've got the holland musket talk and then you've got people responding with all the valid pain with all the valid analyses that they have and then there's going to be a response to those responses which is even greater like all of the defenders come out like holland has um has defenders and supporters and they came out in greater force, greater numbers, and greater power, and greater whatever than the people who wanted to hold Holland accountable. So I've noticed some some very very challenging things about feeling the need to respond to everything, feeling the need to engage with the authorities. So here is my big announcement. You know how we talk about covenants in the church, well. Mm-hmm. I am going to make a covenant, a solemn vow before the Lord, that I will not quote, mention, discuss, uh, I will not quote, mention, or discuss any general authority of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for the period of one year. For one year, for one year, beginning tonight at sunset. For one year, I will not name or mention or discuss any general authority of the church, any living general authority. Let me put that in there. Any living general All authority, because right. I'm gonna, I, I'll talk about you know Joseph and stuff. But, I was about
0: to say, you know, we about to talk about Joseph today. Right,
1: right, yes. So I'll, I right. can talk about that. I can talk about anyone um, who's not around, but any living authority i'm not going to give them that attention i'm not going to respond to their stuff i am not going to cite them either good or bad i'm not going to applaud them when they get stuff right or criticize them when they do something wrong i'm going to be above that uh for at least a year because i'm going to focus on christ this year i'm going to focus on christ okay And I I got into this idea right after General Conference this year of like, I am just so fed up with how the General Authorities end up wagging the whole system. Like, these it's it's a really awful imbalance. It's not what the Lord wanted. Um, It just is not, there's just so much unhealthy obsession with everything they say. Whether it's good or bad, whether it's Whatever, So I'm just going to not deal with that. And I'm going to take as my motto that of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, which says, uh, For I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's going to be my motto for the next whatever, uh, the next year. I'm going to, and it'll help me feel free from the burden to respond because now when everyone says, oh, what did you think of this? Or what did you think of that? And I say, whoops, too bad for you. I made a covenant. Are you trying to make me break my covenant? So yeah, I'm, I'm going to rise above that. And now I can still talk about Christ. And if it so happens that Christ, you know, something happens in the news and then I talk about Christ in such a way that someone could... Imagine that it might connect some way. I can't stop that from happening, right? But I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to, to give them the. I think they, they yeah, they, I just am not going to do that. All right. What do you think? Is this, uh, I think it actually will succeed more so than like coming out with a, with a, you know, a response to everything they do. I just think. We sh- we we're tired of that. They're not actually that important in the eternal scheme of things. They're just a blip, right? Um, right. A lot of their stuff they say only lasts six months anyway, until the next conference, and then a lot it's then it expires, and it's only very few conferences that have enduring value anyway. And time will sift mm-hmm. all this stuff out. Like a hundred years from now, ninety percent maybe. I think. A hundred years from now, ninety-nine percent of what these general authorities are saying right now won't even be re- regurgitated or recapitulated. It's it, it, and I'm I'm living into that, right? I have an eternal perspective. My foundation is the uh, is Christ. So so there.
0: Well, all right. Sounds solid. It sounds like a very healthy boundary to set. Right. So yeah, I'm definitely behind it. Does this mean that? Uh, you will not be tuning into uh, devotionals or conferences or face-to-faces, any of those events they be having? No,
1: I'll still listen. I didn't say I was okay. gonna, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to listen to this stuff and I'm going to pray for them every day. I will pray All for right. them, but I will, um, uh, if they, they're going to have to just, just deal with a, a year of no Derek, right? They're just going to have to deal with it. Like a year of no Derek. I'm not going to feed into the, into the attention that they get. And um, it just, as a convert, they seem treated like royalty or like celebrities or like people are like, ooh, I got a letter from, from Elder So-and-so or, oh, this, this, he came to my stake. I'm like, yeah, so what? So what? If I had an hour to spend with, with President Nelson or an hour to spend with um, like a kid that needs my help... I'm going where Christ would go, right? I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna help the kid. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I just don't get this nearly idolized. I yeah, idolization. It is idolatry the way some of us are enculturated to treat the the authorities. Anyway, it's been uh, 16 minutes, so we better get going.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you for sharing that with us, Derek. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and uh, begin our discussion on the Come Follow Me. Before we begin, I want to remind you we are a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, a collective of independent, interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion of all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. Find out more at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. That's dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. So this week we are in section... 129 through 132. And by way of background, these first few sections are clarifying certain scriptures in the Bible in response to either misunderstandings about certain doctrine or just curiosity it seems. We're gonna we're gonna see uh, civil war prophecy, discussion on celestial marriage, Some possible metaphor about discerning angels from devils, all of that mixed in with some uh, more temple theology. And also some of this content is mad esoteric, like I'm not entirely sure that section 129, for example, is intended to be fully grasped by folks who haven't been through the temple. Section uh, 130 is also going to touch upon the second coming, addressing the big when question. And spoiler alert, we still don't know. And uh, we'll we don't say know. The, and that gets to don't.
1: a theme that I have for all four of these sections 129, 130, 131, and 132. Mm-hmm. And I think even more so than other. Sections, these four really need a disclaimer that we need to approach them with a lot of humility, a lot of grace, a lot of curiosity rather than dogmatic uh, attitudes because there's just a lot we don't know. There's a lot we don't know historically, there's a lot we don't mm-hmm. know doctrinally, there's a lot we don't know um, in terms of the cosmology of the world. Like, there's just so much that we don't know that we need to just make space to say, I don't know. And a lot of the Mm -hmm. questions that are brought up in these four sections are really hard, really challenging, and it's best to come at this with a a simple sense of humility. And I don't know. I'm actually not a historian of the 19th century. I'm not going to know every, um, even everything that's been, uh, that an educated Uh, Scholar, I mean, an an educated average member would know about some of these things. So, but I I do want to name something that's very interesting. Okay. Is that, and this sounds at first kind of contradictory or counterintuitive, but the bigger our circle of knowledge is, the larger our horizon of ignorance is. And so imagine like, a circle that you know that's illuminated that you can see that you know and the larger that circle grows the bigger the diameter of the circle is and then the bigger the circumference is because of that And so the larger the circumference is, that's the boundary between what you know and what you don't know. So there are more unanswered questions the more you know. Because the more you know, the more questions you can pose and the more things that it will prompt. It's kind of like Wikipedia. Every click, (laughs) every link you click on can lead you to three more links to click on, right? And then it just compounds exponentially. And I think that is Mm -hmm. true. I think a lot of people want to jump to the easy route of like we have the plan of salvation already figured out and we know everything and it's all this tight little disney box and it's this narrative is is complete and we just we just know the plan and we know the covenant path i'm like no we don't know anything this is where our ignorance dwarfs our knowledge and i think god wants us to be on the journey god wants us to um take steps and God wants us to be in a covenant relationship with God, but that doesn't mean that we know everything. There's just so many unanswered questions we have. Let me say one thing about 129. I love verse eight. It's kind of mysterious. It says, if it be the devil as an angel of light, when you ask him to shake hands, he will offer you his hand and you will not feel anything. You may therefore detect him. Basically, a resurrected being has a body and will shake hands and you'll feel it. Uh, a spirit who's uh, not resurrected, but a good spirit, will not have a body and then not offer a uh, hand. But a, an evil spirit, the devil, will pretend to shake your hand, but you won't feel it. Ooh, isn't that creepy?
0: Mm hmm. But also very on brand. It is, this is how um, Satan and I operates. think Satan
1: not having a body will, um, will, uh, well, anyway, that's that's just something really interesting about that.
0: There really is, and um, I, I see a uh, a metaphor worth explaining here. I, I don't think this is just about identifying heavenly messengers and discerning those from the devil. I, I think there is a deeper message in here. I think you could use this to discern people and institutions that purport to be on God's errand. I'm learning about Reverdy ransom right now in one of my classes. He's a uh, former Bishop and civil rights activist in the AME church in the late 19th, early 20th century. Back then you were either in a team Du Bois or team Booker T and he was firmly in the Du Bois camp and he, caused a lot of good trouble because his ministry implied some kind of criticism of other ministries. He shared the life of the urban poor, he toured the saloons, gambling joints, visited the sick and the lonely, uh, stocked the mission with food for prostitutes who were like flush with cash one day and broke the next day, and he kept moral criticisms to a minimum with very little talk about religion. Only place him and his people preached was a church and he viewed these kinds of acts as basic gospel principles and claimed a church could be Christian couldn't be Christian if they if they spurned them like we going to sit smug and comfortable in our big church or are we going to go out with christ into the highways and seek for the sheep that are lost until we find them that's the kind of business he was about uh that's the kind of ministry he ran and he inadvertently poached members wherever he went and he'd actually been run out of three cities by different ecclesiastical leaders of uh other methodist and baptist churches because his ministry was an implicit criticism of more shallow ministries preaching uh what dr king would call uh sanctimonious trivialities that demanded nothing remember your uh Critique of conference a while back that if people are saying stuff everybody can agree with, that they're saying nothing. Uh, that and the senseless condemnation of the already marginalized was what Bishop Ransom stood against. The same kind of senseless condemnation Elder Holland levied against the queer community back, you know, 10 weeks ago. And he condemned it. Uh, Ransom condemned it because it was hollow, it was empty, and it was clearly not helping. You don't feel God. In work like that. He was about that work that Christ was doing, and people felt that in his church. That's why other bishops got poached by Bishop Ransom. But anyway, bringing this back to this section uh, that we're reading, I can see this being a metaphor for the institutions or the people we interact with. If someone or some institution Mm -hmm. purports to be on God's errand, We should be able to feel that in their existence. And I think that's a great way for us as a church to take inventory of ourselves. You you can't dispute that the church has some great things going on with regard to initiatives for education and welfare and disaster relief. Uh, mental health stuff etc but unfortunately a lot of that is overshadowed by senseless queer phobia milk condemnations of racism and nationalism unexamined patriarchy and a lot more it's hard to feel God's message under those circumstances and that's the that's the nothing you be feeling yeah. when you shake hands with the devil posing as an angel of light it's that void of of godliness of holiness in a place projecting the impression that it's there—it's obviously an right, imperfect analogy, I so. that and makes a lot uh, of I sense. got to flesh that out that some more. But you sense. know, this, this is what that's doing. I hope like, that makes sense.
1: It—I think another way of saying what you're saying is, it's the type of thing of if people say they love, but you don't feel the love. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's a lot of people that they say they love the queers, but you know what? We don't feel it, and so you've got one mm-hmm. of Satan's hands instead of. uh whatever, you know, actually something we can feel.
0: So in section 130, uh, I just wanted to highlight that uh, specifically verses 18 through 19, whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. Now we've spoken briefly about the value of intelligence about two and a half months ago whenever it was that whole thing that uh, whenever elder holland did that whole thing but namely that there's a connection between emulating the savior and gaining an education mm-hmm. maxwell said something along the lines of scholarship as being a form of worship and the timing of our reading of that section was really interesting because that was around the time that Elder Holland made his now infamous remarks at Brigham Young University, remarks that uh, demonstrated the threat that good scholarship was to the church's unfounded queerphobia. And we're back at it again, though, and I I just wanted to highlight the repetition that is existing in this section. We, we, We saw this heavily back in section 93 when we last discussed this, as well as section 88 section 118 i believe and a couple others too remember what i said about mm-hmm. repetition though like if, if the lord repeats it then it's probably going to be important and the lord doesn't just talk about the value of education and intelligence here as we did some weeks ago there's an implication that it will be important in the next life and a primary pursuit in the next life which should all the more drive us to seek as much education as much knowledge and as much truth as we can in this life that as it says in the scriptures we might have the advantage in the world to come there is a direct relationship between the education and the knowledge the light and truth that we receive and live into in this life and the kind of life we're going to be living Mm. in the life to come yeah
1: then, it reminds me of a big touchstone for me is when I want to figure something out, I go to the Jesus of the New Testament mm-hmm. and look at how he, what did he prioritize? When you look at his ministry, he did a bunch of things, but he basically did three things. One, he fed people. Two, he taught people. And three, he healed people. And that tells me that if we want to embody Christ in the world, we've got to feed people, we've got to um, give them health care, and we've got to give them a good education, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think there's conservative people who say, we shouldn't be feeding people, we shouldn't be giving people free health care, and we shouldn't be giving people free education, and I'm like, yeah, well, that's not the Christ I know. Notice what Christ didn't do. He did not create any traditional families, not a one. He did not create a traditional family, not one of his own, not another's. Mm-hmm. He never performed a marriage in the New Testament. He never married anyone in the New Testament. He never had any kids in the New Testament. He um, had, and I don't want to go through all of, the, all of the New Testament sources on this, about how Jesus constructed families, but he constructed alternative chosen families. He had a band of itinerant disciples, both men and women, who followed him and they created a new way of family. And we talked about this a little bit last time. So I don't want to talk about too much more, but he did not really create families the way that the world creates families of a mom and a dad and in the picket fence and all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, let's look at what he did. He fed people, he taught people, he healed people, but he did not create a single traditional family. And so the this church has focused culturally more on this traditional family than it has on some of these other things of, of helping people get a... I shouldn't say that. I mean, because we do have some humanitarian work and we do have a lot of money invested in education right we've got the Mm -hmm. the byus and the seminaries and all this other stuff Mm -hmm. so we've Mm -hmm. got some of that but i think there's a climate of anti-intellectualism even at some of these institutions which is part of the the part of the problem but that's why i'm investing in oh money is another thing that's another thing jesus did not do he did not make a bunch of money he was poor all his life. He did not treasure up anything on earth. But you know the things that Mormons love to do? They love to make money. They love to have <laughs> uh-huh. traditional families. I'm mean, like, that's like the two things Jesus didn't do. <laughs> How can you get it so wrong? Mm. Like I'm not like I make enough money to survive, but I'm not rich. I I um I I don't have this desire to own large houses and have be rich in worldly wealth, because I can't take it with me. Right here, this intelligence, everything I study, every piece of scripture that I learn, I will take with me to the resurrection. The money that I make, I'm not taking with me. Right? I can take my character with me. I can take my relationships with me. And I can take my knowledge with me. That's where I'm investing. I'm not investing in uh, money. Well, anyway. So... I think that connects real well with something at the beginning of section 130 and that same sociality, this is verse two and that same sociality, which exists among us here will exist among us there. Only it will be coupled with eternal glory, which glory we do not now enjoy. And there's just,
0: I'm so glad you're talking about this because I really struggled with what this meant.
1: Well, to me, I see queer people here. I see a variety of family structures here. I see Mm -hmm. all the good stuff that exists among us here will still exist among us there, except all of the awful stuff, the injustices that interfere with eternal glory, all that stuff will be taken away. So we're gonna have the same sociality, but there's not gonna be racism, there's not gonna be sexism, there's not gonna be transphobia, there's not gonna be poverty. Like all of this stuff, yeah, it says, which glory we do not now enjoy. Clearly, all of these injustices um, testify to that we do not currently see what this sociality could look like if it's coupled with eternal glory and lacking all of these uh, injustices. So that's my take on it.
0: Okay, thank you for sharing. I, um, you know, I was trying to figure out where the there was, And, um, I mean, I assumed it was the afterlife, but I didn't actually see one clearly named, uh, even though I think that's a pretty safe assumption, but also just the sociality of what. I looked at the footnote, and it was talking about families. It was talking about marriages. But I was like, what about society as a whole? What about the family of Christ? Mm -hmm. What about, Mm -hmm. you know, all of us? And, you know, I was thinking to myself, if the same sociality is going to exist in the life to come as, you know, as it exists exists now you know doesn't it stand to reason that we got to figure out exactly how to live in community while we're here because we're all pretty much going to be dealing with each other in the next life we're not going to be like floating on clouds and playing harps independent of right. each other in the next life like we're we're still going to be very much in relation with each other we're still going to be mm-hmm. dealing with each mm-hmm. other things are going to be very uh very dynamic and social and relational in the next life that that is basically what i felt as i read these verses but i was like is there not something there that might encourage us to live better Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. because i feel Mm -hmm. like that is i feel like there's something in joseph's tone in this revelation Mm -hmm. that indicates that yes there is and you should want to live better because of this truth and, you know, this isn't to say that marriage and family can't mm-hmm. be part of that. I, I believe they're in the foot, footnote for that reason or for a reason. But uh, I'm, I'm also thinking about the greater human family and what this might mean for the rest of us. I don't I wasn't able to come up with any fully formed thoughts about this because I was just really wrestling with what this might mean in the first place. So anybody else out there who's a scholar that want to give me a hand, yeah. I would. Greatly appreciated, but um, I I just feel like there's more here to be mined, and I simply was not able to find it. So,
1: and I think this same sociality, like, what does this say about um, single people? Like, we've got single people here, yeah, and people will say, "Well, eternal glory is going to fix them, and they won't be single." But why? Why couldn't we say, "Oh, well, maybe eternal glory will fix the injustices that make single people suffer." Right, that's another way of looking at it. Like what if we have a s- way of s- constructing society where single people get all their needs met and we don't have any of the deficits that exist currently among us now that single mm-hmm. people face? So there's just sort of two ways you can fix the pro you can fix the symptom or you can fix the actual problem, and I think the actual problem is um. That society is constructed in such a way that single people can't get their needs met. Uh, mm. well, many of them, right, maybe some of them can, right? But uh, but it's not constructed the way it's designed is for for married people. Yeah. Anyway, so let's look at um, this feeds into something in section thirty one. One thirty-one, verse 6 it says it is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance yeah yeah and i suspect even though it doesn't say it that it's also impossible for a man to be condemned in uh i should say a person it is impossible for a person to be condemned in ignorance right if if you don't know if you're not responsible for Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. can't be responsible for something that you didn't know right and then I want to and connect. And that's elsewhere in hmm. scriptures. Yeah. I want to connect this with 131, verse 1. And because this is a little. And now we're going to get into this sticking point with 131 and 132 for many people. It says In the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees. And in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood. And then in brackets, it says, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And then this ties into section 132, which we don't have time to go through even part by <laughs> part.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot in here, my guy. Um, I... <sighs> I don't know how to talk about this section, my friend. There's a lot going on in it, and I don't even feel like Mm -hmm. the right person to talk about it considering we don't have any immediate or direct stakes in it, or rather, this doesn't affect us as men the same way it affects women in the church. It doesn't affect me the same way it might affect you as a queer person. This section is Mm -hmm. primarily to explain plural marriage. It was initially received right. to help Emma understand the principles of the practice. Uh, Hiram, who initially struggled with the practice, as did several saints, like you can find a lot of quotes by prominent saints who just were not about this revelation when it first came out or about this practice when they first became aware of it. Hiram basically asked Joseph Smith to dictate a revelation on these practices and And when he was done, he would go to Emma and convince her of the truth of the revelation. And as you might imagine, that didn't Mm -hmm. go very well. Um, There was words like, Hiram used words like, I think, resentment and bitterness to describe Emma's reaction to the revelation, which, frankly, is understandable. But uh, by way of introduction to this section, again, the primary purpose of this revelation is to explain plural marriage. This is easily one of the most difficult sections to read it's just so complex and messy for so many reasons and i'm I, and you know i'm saying this as a straight dude i i don't know that there's a messier section in the doctrine and covenants than this one there's it, it's got this weird confusing mix of beautiful truths in there some gems in there with some mad mm-hmm. controversial mm-hmm. and perhaps even you know, problematic passages, certainly abused passages. These passages have been used to justify queer phobia. And near the end of this section, mm-hmm. it, like it may not be wholly appropriate for me to call these passages a text of terror, but it does nonetheless feature what I feel is violent language towards a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, just what do we, we got to sit with that. Cause like, what do you, what do you do with that language? Um, and then on the other side of these troubled passages there are again there's some gems in here there's some subtle critique of kingship of monarchy the there's this idea of marriage relationships lasting beyond the grave as well as the restoration of the new and everlasting covenant thereby bringing us the opportunity for exalt- exaltation and godhood like all that is beautiful but you know we gotta and you know this is why i'm so excited to discuss the old testament next year because it is like this is the kind of messiness that is just all over the all over the Hebrew Bible, and um, yeah. I, I really want to hopefully get the saints in the habit of, or at least prepared for. Just sitting with this messiness, all these troublesome passages, these troublesome things that the patriarchs, the prophets, and the kings do, but situated next to some profound lessons and interactions with with God, with God, and uh, yeah, man, uh, messy section, very messy section. That is yes. that's my introduction to one thirty-two. Is, is there anything you want to add to that? And this gets back to the point that I was saying about
1: um our ignorance dwarfs our knowledge like i think there's a lot of questions we have about the implementation of polygamy and the effects and all these other things and there's and the thing is what is my main thesis here's my main thesis my main thesis actually is that on many levels section 132 creates more problems than it solves it initializes more questions than it answers and that it creates more anxiety than it alleviates because i think a lot of people want to say oh look the doctrine of sealing you know eliminates the anxiety about, you know, whenever I'm gonna see my wife again or my husband again, right? It we we can trust this and we know we're gonna be together forever. And I'm like, yeah, that's not even what DNC 132 is about. And B, even if you take it that way, it raises so many anxieties, more so than it than it solves. Because, yeah, you've got this popular conception of the doctrine that being sealed means you're gonna be together forever. And what about people who aren't sealed? What if you're sealed and then divorced? What if you are sealed but then your spouse is not faithful to their end of the covenants? Are you half sealed? Like, what about your kids? What if your kids fall away? What if you never get married? What if you get divorced? What if you're like... There's just so many questions that get raised once you have the doctrine of sealing that our siblings in other Christian churches don't even have to mess with because basically everyone who's with Jesus will, will be together. Will they all be together, right? And so it, it's ironic that the, this doctrine of sealing has become such a fixation in our missionary work because, and I think historically that's what happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s, mid, late 20th century. People hit upon the idea of, oh, let's just go tell the world that families can be together forever, and isn't that cute? It sounds like a Disney fairy tale, and happily ever after. And that was a really, really strong emphasis for the missionary movement. And it still is, right? But what right. these missionaries don't realize is they think they're going around to the world. They're thinking that they're going around to everyone and informing them that they might be together forever. What they're really doing is they're going around to everyone and informing families that they might not be together forever. I think that's that's something to name. And let me just back up and say something about this being together. If you look at DNC 132 very carefully, not through like the popular, uh, you know, families can be together forever. But if you look at what it actually says, what it actually promises to sealed couples. If you look at the covenant and what it promises. And what it actually says is something way deeper, way more complicated, way more involved than this oversimplified quote, being together. You know, if you search DNC 132, you don't, there's not the word see, S-E-E, anywhere in the text. People say, oh, it's we're gonna see each other again. Nope, that word is not in DNC 132. If you say, oh, it's about being together, that's not in D&C. You search the word together. The word together is not in DNC 132. It's not about seeing each other again. It's not about being te- together again. It's about increase. It's about kingdoms. It's about a whole bunch of stuff that I don't have time to talk about right now. But just read it very carefully. It is something way bigger, more detailed, and more specific than just being together or seeing each other again. And I think what it is is the covenant relationship continues. And that's different than seeing each other. For example, here on earth, like if you have a married couple and one of them goes off to war or on a journey or on exploration something and they don't see each other for 12 years, well, you've got this married couple that's separated for 12 years, they don't see each other but they still have a covenantal relationship. They are still obligated by their covenant to remain faithful to each other in the absence of the other. They're not together, but they have a covenantal relationship. So covenantal relationship mm-hmm. and quote being together are completely independent things. Like you mm-hmm. can have one without the other, and you have the you can have the other without the one. I'm already wasting too much time. But go read DNC <laughs> one thirty-two. It's not about quote being together or quote seeing each other again. So. And it, now it may be better and bigger and more involved than, than seeing each other, the covenant to have eternal increase, kingdoms and, and worlds and stuff. But, but I want to back up and, and talk about the very real thing that you named that this section can be used against women, it can be used against single folks, it can be used mm-hmm. against queer folks. And I'm in two out of those three categories. I am not sealed to anyone. I am not sealed to my parents. Um, Many LGBT folks who were raised in the church are are sealed to their parents and sealed to their siblings, and they can enjoy at least some sense of, okay, I'm I'm still kind of in there somewhere. I'm not sealed to anyone. No one, right? What does that say about me? How do I process this? I actually think the doctrine of sealing should be best taught by those who are not sealed to anyone because we're the least likely to overclaim. We're the least likely to have some sappy, romanticized, Disney-fied version of it. We're less likely to um, ignore the, the very problematic ways that this is taught. It's very easy for these, uh, you know, picture perfect LDS families to talk about sealing in such glowing, exaggerated terms, and it's like the best thing ever. And I'm like, well, yeah, we need we need to do some work on that. And that's what I'm saying. Our ignorance dwarfs our knowledge, and Section 132 raises more questions than it has than it answers it creates more anxieties like dnc 132 it was recorded and handed uh, over to emma to alleviate her anxieties about the stuff that had already been going on and didn't work Mm. even today dnc 132 does not alleviate more anxieties than it create wait yeah it doesn't alleviate more anxieties than it creates so that i just want to name that together let me just talk about a couple of interesting things. I'll, I'll pick out three verses in section 132. The first right. one, the first verse itself, goes back to the very human nature of, of prophets and revelators, right? It's given according to their knowledge. It's given line upon line. Uh, and that's why we don't know. Like, 132 is not the final story. I mean, this is not the final word. Like, if you look at the very last verse of section one thirty-two, it says, "And now, as pertain—this is verse uh, sixty-six—and now, as pertaining to this law, verily, verily, I say unto you, I will revere, I will reveal more unto you hereafter. Therefore, mm. let this suffice for the present. Behold, I am Alpha and Omega. Amen." It, so, Jesus is the beginning and the end, sealing. Is not the beginning and the end. Um, families are not the beginning and the end. Like the most important thing is Christ, and I think insofar as sealing points towards Christ, yeah, that that's good. But even the sec- the end of one thirty two itself. Testifies that this isn't the whole story. We've only got a fraction of, of stuff going on and all these questions about what happens if you're single, what happens if you don't have a chance to marry in this life, will you get a chance? Like all of these questions get back to, look, this is line upon line. That's the line Joseph and Emma were on in 1843. There's just so much going on. Um, and... Section 132 was given according to the limitations of the revelator, right? It was in language that Joseph knew and understood. And that doesn't excuse some things, but it does help us realize that, well, we can get some better answers. We can get some better phrasing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here's an an example of what I think is the, uh, uh, some limited language that and limited understanding that Joseph may have had. If you look at verse one, it says, "Um, inasmuch as you've inquired of my hand to know and understand wherein I, the Lord, justified my servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants as touching the, the principle and doctrine of their having many wives and concubines. Now there's something interesting here. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and Solomon. One of those isn't like the other five. (laughs) Okay. And it's Isaac. The scriptural record in the Bible is that Isaac was a monogamist. He had Rebecca. Mm -hmm. He had no other wives, no concubines, and he had children only with uh, Rebecca. The others, Mm -hmm. Abraham had uh, Sarah.
0: Hagar, and that was it.
1: Sarah, Hagar, and Keturah. Everyone forgets Keturah.
0: Oh, yeah. I totally forgot Keturah. Yeah.
1: um, But anyway, so... I think you know Joseph must have had it in his head that Isaac he lumped it in, them in with the, all the other patriarchs and said Abraham Isaac and so when he couched this revelation in the voice of God he put Isaac in there in God's voice so you can see how he's operating he does he does this a lot but anyway right. that's one thing to say I wanted to say something about verse seven it says basically that any of these contracts, covenants, and so on that are not made through the power of the priesthood will be nullified in the hereafter. And I just want to name something really interesting. A lot of people criticize the phrasing, which originally people may not know this, but it originally comes from the Book of Common Prayer. It is the Church of England uh, uh, liturgical source uh which is also used by the episcopal church in the united states and this is the this is the service of holy matrimony that all the movies derive from that all the like hollywood everything comes from it's the forever hold your peace line comes from the book of common prayer and the uh, many other common lines you know in sickness and in health that comes from the book of common prayer the line till death us do part also comes from this liturgy in the Book of Common Prayer. Two things to say about that. Everyone says it wrong. It actually, if you look at the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, it says, till death us do part, in that order. The other thing is, it doesn't say what Mormons want it to say. They want it to say that, well look, even in their own liturgy, the marriage ends at death. No, that's not what it says. All it says is death does part us in some sense and even we as latter-day saints know that death parts us in some sense it is a separation it is a physical separation it separates us uh, physically and part of what what it does is in the book of common prayer vow that you make with the other you are vowing to be faithful to that person until death separates you which means then you are free to remarry like your obligation to love and support and be faithful to that person ends at death it doesn't say the marriage ends at death but it says your obligation to be faithful to that person ends at death which of course it does even we believe that even we believe that if a then that when we're separated by death a living spouse is free to remarry right so all this is to say that that latter-day saints want to say oh look these other churches don't believe that they're going to see each other or be together and no all the other churches they assume that that you're going to be together right it's it's not it's not the well anyway so that's all i wanted to say about that all
0: right
1: um and i want to say something about verse 39 this is something very interesting Verse 39 is about David. And I actually like David in the end. I love the book of Psalms. I love... In the end. Okay. What? You said you like David in the end. Right. Um, I like David's relationship with Jonathan. I I mean, there's just Mm -hmm. so many cool things about David that I don't think that he is forever without hope. So I think that if you look at... For example, Psalm 32, I think that the, that the Lord is absolutely able to forgive David and David felt a sense of forgiveness even after his encounter with Nathan where they talked about it. There definitely is a, right. uh, a chance for restoration. But here's what it says. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole verse, but it says that in none of these things did David sin except in the case of Uriah and his wife. And because of that, David has fallen from his exaltation. And I think that's really interesting because, what? Um, so the the polygamy itself wasn't the problem; it was mm-hmm. the fact that um, that Bathsheba was already married to Uriah, mm-hmm. and the other problem is that. Uh, there's no meaningful consent when you are the king, you are essentially an absolute monarch, and you can tell Bathsheba right. to show up and, uh, and have sex with you. That is extremely problematic, right? It's, mm-hmm. We have a violation of power dynamics and, and therefore mm-hmm. consent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the other thing is that David killed Uriah. But, but the point that I want to make with Uriah is that David's murder of Uriah is was indirect and it was indirect it was indirectly indirect because david did not kill uriah directly and even the person that david sent to the front lines to say hey i want you to withdraw from the heat of battle so that israel's enemies might kill uriah even that person didn't kill uriah directly it was Uh, Uriah was killed in battle directly by by the enemies of Israel, right? And so Mm -hmm. what ended up happening is you've got really David being two degrees removed from directness, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, so Abraham told someone to make sure that... uh, And it wasn't even that David told someone to kill Uriah. It was David told someone to indirectly cause Uriah's death. And so this is a doubly indirect murder. And I want to say in the time of a pandemic, in a time of masks, vaccines, and other orders, people are saying, well, if I don't directly kill someone, then I'm not guilty of murder. Well, yes, you are. You can be guilty of murder even if you are doubly indirectly connected with a death that you caused. So let me just mm-hmm. say that. Okay. Yes sir.
0: Looking forward to s- discussing that next year as well. Yeah. It is. Well, Such anyway, a there's case. there's a lot of
1: and I'm going to leave open some of these questions about like how do we know what the Lord actually commanded and and did did Joseph really understand it? No, he actually didn't. We can very clearly see from the historical record that Joseph did not implement this well. It was not uh, it it just—it's it just a big mess. Um, it was not. Yeah, we can't say that, that leaders get everything right. Um, in fact, it, wherever it is here in section one thirty-two, it encourages Emma to forgive Joseph for his sins. So clearly, he sinned in 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 this, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a mess, and it gets back to something I said that DNC one thirty-two creates more anxieties than it alleviates and it creates more unanswered questions than it answers and it can um uh it, it really can co- cause some problems and i think DNC 132 has caused some pro- i'm not saying that it's not inspired scripture there's all sorts of inspired scriptures including some that i've got memorized from the bible that mm. have problems right yeah. and i think that gets back to the nature of mortality right like, we're here. We don't get everything spoon-fed to us. We get stuff line upon line. We get a world of opposition in which we have to learn discernment and responsibility and the power of, of distinguishing spirits and, and, and learn all this stuff. So that's kind of something that we are stuck with when we look at DNC 132. So yeah. that's all I have for now. Hopefully I'll stop and I won't <laughs> think of anything more
0: it's all good such a fascinating thing and uh, we definitely encourage you to listen to other voices on this subject i don't know what uh what chenning and elise will be talking about this week but because like so much direct effect on women is going to be found in this particular section uh, and you know i'm i'm pretty sure there's going to be something Uh, Very insightful from them this week uh, with regard to these verses because, you know, obviously Derek and I could speak more on this, but there's definitely parts of this we should not speak to just because of how not close to this particular subject we are. So even still, we managed to talk quite a bit about this week's stuff. So (laughs) anyway, uh, with that, I think I do think that's a good place for us to conclude for the time being. Let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up real quick. And uh, before we do, I want to remind y'all that Dialogue Journal of Mormon Thought has a new podcast partner we want to put you on to called the uh, Fireside Podcast with Blair Hodges. It features in-depth interviews about religion and culture featuring brilliant writers, scholars, activists, and more. If you're spiritual but not religious or religious but not spiritual or something else entirely, there's a seat saved for you at Fireside. Learn more and listen to Fireside by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts or at DialogueJournal.com slash Podcast Network. That's DialogueJournal.com slash Podcast Network. Okay, Derek, where can people find us?
1: You can find us at BeyondTheBlockPodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at btblds. And you can find us on Facebook.
0: Yes. And uh, also we want to send a special thanks to uh, Tamara Kemsley for editing the show, David Boyle for editing the transcripts, Stephanie Martz and Angela Carter for being a big help with social media and uh, the team doing the incredible work of assembling our episode outlines including Stephanie Peterson Gabrielle Honda, Christine Lestarge, Jen Altman and Beth Johnson uh, these outlines also include the Faithful Feminist episodes as well as the Holy Human episodes so that can kind of be your one stop shop for all your favorite Come Follow Me podcast needs uh, you can find the link to these outlines at tiny URL dot com slash btb outlines is that right derek right that
1: is right. yes
0: finally i remember and uh, the link you can also find to our show notes as well and uh also in the drop down menu on our website you can find the outline there too same goes for our transcripts and if you forget all that just check the show notes the link to the outlines and the transcripts will also be there too uh you got any we got any uh, announcements for the people derek anything we got to put them on to
1: well, um, November is National Native American Heritage Month. Uh, so think about that. Um, I know, we need to think about our uh, Native in- and Indigenous siblings. Mm. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. about it. Oh, and uh, if you're listening to this on Monday... We are dropping a video today on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, talking about uh, Official Declaration 2, where they focus on the myths of the origins of the priesthood and temple restrictions in preparation for next month's lesson that'll cover the same. I believe that's going to be the lesson for the week of the 12th. Quite certain most folks won't spend a lot of time on it, if they spend any time on it, and we wanted to create a resource for folks to help them prepare for this important topic and use the little time you might get with maximum efficiency by acknowledging and dismissing the common explanations for the priesthood and temple ban. So uh, please share the video when it drops. Now I'm not asking you to do that for clicks and for likes and clout for Derek and I, I'm asking because I legitimately want to create the best opportunity for y'all to help dismantle harmful teachings that still persist in the church. So in a way, that's still kind of selfish, but I ain't trying to go to church and listen to white folks opine about why God may have instituted the priesthood ban, and the chances we have of sparing others that same fate goes up if you share the video. So please, pretty please share it. It'll be up by noon Eastern Standard Time, not daylight, cause clocks be switching, but noon Eastern Standard Time on Monday, November the 8th. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's true. And I'm I'm guessing it would be a good idea, if if possible, for people who teach this in church, uh, especially if there's no voices of color around, and especially no black voices, then um, maybe they can show this in the, uh, show this, in, Mm -hmm. uh, in in the, when they teach.
0: Yes, it's a very safe video, guys. Like, I don't say anything provocative in it. At least I don't think I do. I mean, I don't think I say anything provocative on this show, but, you know, it just shows you how, yeah, it's, it's safe. It's safe. So by all means, use it as a resource for your classes if you feel so inclined. Appreciate that, Derek. I did not even think about mentioning that. Um, yeah, is there anything else? Okay, cool. Then thank you guys for joining us till we meet again next week.